All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Episode 54 or episode number three of season three. We're here with Shane Stevens. We are chatting Australia Day. Sorry, it's late. Even on stage, like my knees frame you up. There are other things you can still stay controlled. Fitness. But before we kick off, a word from our sponsors. First of all, True Protein is unafraid to cut through the noise of an oversaturated market and break the mold to deliver authentic, all-natural products with genuine health benefits and none of the fake stuff. True have bucked the trend for expensive, overhyped, bad-tasting protein powders packed with false promises to reinvent the marketplace and create a 100% natural, delicious, Quality protein with no gimmicks, nothing artificial, and a completely transparent ingredient list. You can pick up True Protein online at trueprotein.com.au and use the code PERFITFAM10 for an exclusive PERFITFAM discount. You can also pick up True Protein from over 200 retailers right here in Perth. So if you want to find the one closest to you, just hit me up and I'll point you in the right direction. That's trueprotein.com.au. And you guys have probably seen floating around on my social media, Fit Fam Finder, which is a dating app for fitness singles that was created out of demand from the fitness community, frustrated with current online dating options. Fit Fam Finder's mission is to create a safe environment for fitness singles to date and establish healthy relationships centered around fitness, friendship, and fun. Fit Fan Finder will soon be available to download straight from the Apple Store. That's going to be any day now, guys. We're working through it. So as soon as it's available, you guys will hear from us. You can find out more by heading to Fit Fan Finder. That's F-I-N-D, no E-R, so F-I-N-D-R on Instagram and sign up for early access. But finally, before we kick things off, the Perfect Fan Podcast would not be complete without mentioning perfectfan.com.au. If you follow us but you didn't already know, you can find out more and see what's happening within the Perth Fitness scene on perfectfam.com.au. Simply head there to download our podcast, read our articles, search local fitness businesses and events. And if you're a fitness business, you can list there for free on Perfect Fam. We also offer in mar- we also offer marketing courses to help you crush business with social media. So if you're a fitness enthusiast wanting to see what's up or you're a local fitness business looking to be seen, head to Perfect Fam. Dot com dot au. I should have been in radio. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mouthful. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Um, I, I, I'll get used to it. So, ladies and gentlemen, episode number three of season number three, or episode 54 in total, we're here with Shane Stevens, one of the fittest dads from the Perth fitness scene, <laughs> F45 extraordinaire, and the owner of F45 Vic Park and East Perth. Shane, welcome on. Welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for being on. So this is a really important one. It's one which I've wanted to do for a few years. We were looking at doing it and releasing it for Australia Day, but just with family and work commitments, it's been pushed back. Um, But the purpose of us catching up was because you and I had a discussion a few months ago um, uh, around Australia Day. So I I found out that you were of Aboriginal descent back then. And I got to ask you a whole bunch of questions that I've always wanted to know. Um, I guess we're in a situation now, um, I'm, uh, I'm what you would call a European Australian I grew up in a European-Australian family um, uh, and with the things like Invasion Day, um, Triple J moving the hottest 100 across the day, for me that was very, very hard to understand because my lens or background was, well, I'm Australian, I'm proud, this is like our day of celebration. 
But that's because I grew up with that lens from a European Australian family. So I thought, hey, maybe there's something you don't understand about this situation and it would be great to sit down with someone who is Aboriginal and find out more. When we chatted, I was like, perfect. I found my guy. (laughs) (laughs) So first of all, let's kick things off. So whereabouts did you grow up? What was the community like? And what's the process of growing up as an Aboriginal kid? Um, look, I think it's like anybody, you know, when you're growing up, you've got your mum, your dad, your family, but with us, the family is a lot bigger. Like, instead of just having a few people, you've got hundreds of people. So, you know, you, you don't have friends, you just have cousins. So, growing up, you just have family. Everywhere you go, everyone's your cousin. Um, I was born in Darwin, and I grew up there with yeah, this huge extended family with a very strong Aboriginal identity. And... Even though we weren't living on our country, our country was not too far away. Um, I'm an Iwaja man, and that's my mum's country, which is out in Arnhem Land near Croker Island there. Um, and that's where, where we would go back to homeland. Can you explain that? So when you say not within your own country, do you, does that mean not on the mainland of Australia? Uh, no, not within my, our, our tribal lands, our, our, where, oh. where we are custodians of. Okay. So you'll find there are a lot of Aboriginal people who don't live on their country. There's a whole series of displacements that have happened over time as Aboriginal people have been moved over the last 200 years off their country into other places. And then you've got the usual process of migration to where work and life and things happen. And our family all settled in Darwin, which was very close to where we originally came from. Um, but that's where the, the family grew up. Okay, cool. Your mum or your, your uh, family or your parents, did they grow up in Darwin or did they grow up um, within their country? Uh, mum grew up in Darwin. Okay, gotcha. My, my grandmother was, was, was one of the, the last groups who grew up in her country for our family, one of the last custodians of our language and all of our cultural knowledge for our family. Um, but as I said, through displacement, um, stolen generation, lots of things, you'll find lots of stories within Aboriginal families where people are no longer rooted in their country, they've been moved off it, and they had to make lives with their family in new places. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so going back, like for me saying I'm, you know, that white European Australian, um, you know, my ancestors were part of the convicts that came over. So I like to say, um, you know, back when our ancestors came through, you had to be a criminal to get into the country. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. So I didn't understand that um, there were obviously different Aboriginal tribes. That's that's something that we understand. But actual uh, like different key groups or these countries. So can you explain that a little bit more, all, all these different tribes and how they lived? Uh, look, I, th- I think the, the, the key to you to remember is um, before uh, European settlement, Australia still had its own natural boundaries where Aboriginal tribes would move in and around their own custodial areas. But there weren't just six or seven of them. There were literally hundreds of them. And within these hundreds of uh, countries... Okay, uh, there were also diverse language, diverse cultural practices, um, diverse song lines and movement patterns that allowed these people to move with the seasons, that allowed our ancestors to stay connected to their country and to sustain life as they needed. From the people who lived on the coastal country, saltwater people, right into the desert and those people, we all had very unique languages, um, stories, songs and, and cultural habits. 
Now, you growing up um, as an Aboriginal kid going through the school system, being in Darwin, um, what was your experience like? Did you have limitations growing up? One thing that we did want to point out as well is that being in Darwin and where you were from, um, uh, uh, your uh, group or tribe, sorry, I'm using the wrong word. Um, Yeah, look, I think Indigenous people, we're not just one tribe in Darwin. There's lots of different outlying cultural groups, Aboriginal groups that sit in and around the town of Darwin. Okay, yep. Larrakia Nation, that's their country on top of Darwin. Yes. And they, they are the custodians of that land. And then from out around all of that coastal area, right out to the Tiwi Islands and further, a lot of us have all moved into that town and, and we, we, we live and work and have our lives in there. And you said that was about 30%. Yeah, I think we're somewhere around 30, you know, 25, 30% of the population of Darwin is Indigenous and, and has Indigenous bloodlines in it. So but- we make up a significant part of that that town um, and the culture of that town and how uh, we play a big role in all areas of art, music, commerce, politics, sports, yeah. So what was then your experience growing up and that's, that was my key point with this is that before we came on we discussed that you would have had a different experience to um, Aboriginals that live in other cities or, or towns. Yeah, I, th- I certainly think having a, a town that had a strong Indigenous Aboriginal identity meant that you were able to grow up with a lot of confidence about who you were and where you fit within that community. Um, growing up in Darwin, my Aboriginality was never questioned. Yeah. Because I'm very fair and I look very European. I, I admit that. I most people look at me and think I'm Greek or Italian. Yeah, yeah. We've um, had that's what we had. I was like Greek, Italian, <laughs> Spanish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's it's one of those things where because Everyone knew who my mum was, who my grandmother was, who my great-grandfather was and who all of my uncles and aunties were. There's never a question of who you are or where you fit. Um, But I think when you're from a much smaller percentage of population in some of the bigger cities um, and some of the, uh, the, the more displaced Aboriginal populations, you would have had a very different upbringing and experience of life to what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it be through opportunity and advantage or through disadvantage and oppression, there, w- there would have been very different experiences across the nation. Um, but I think the, the the experience is what's allowed me to be who I am today, if that makes any sense. It allows yep. me to, to play a role that I can in, in, in the community that I can today. Awesome. Um, now, one thing that we spoke about off camera as well is I said, uh, I, I asked if you were half Aboriginal. To which you said, because I said, um, you know, your mum and your dad, I was asking the background, I said, are you half Aboriginal? And he said, well, no, I'm Aboriginal because we don't, there's, there's no halves. You're either Aboriginal or you're yeah. not. Whereas Shell, so my wife, she's half Malaysian, like her mum's Malaysian and her dad's Australian. And so we said, we're going to have equations. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so um, yeah, it, it's, um, I guess explain that to me a little bit more. Well, look, a little bit of a history lesson. Firstly, the, the, there was a, what's called a casting system that was used a long, long time ago. And it was to sort of help segregate out the more European-looking Indigenous people and put them into systems that separated them from families and allowed them to become assimilated into mainstream society. So the lighter you got, the the more distant you got from your Aboriginal appearance, the casting system allowed them to segregate out. And that was a whole thing around the stolen generation. Okay. And the, the whiter you were, the, the higher risk you were of being taken away, not to mention uh, all the other horrible things that happened around that. But th- that was part of it was this casting system of half-caste, quarter-caste, 
Octune, all that sort of stuff. And it, so we don't identify like that. And a, a real simple way to explain it for most people is if you have a cup of tea yep. and you put milk in it, does it now become half tea? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's still tea. No matter how much milk you put in it until it's almost white and milky, it's still tea. It's just a different shade of tea. Yes. Yeah, so it's a real simple way, I think, of looking at it. We, we're always Aboriginal. Yeah. And we hold that really deeply inside us. It's not to do with the colour of our skin or the shape of our nose or whether we speak with an Aboriginal accent and slang and sound like we're from the bush. We are Aboriginal in our essence and in our hearts. Now, um, I'm going to move to a different question because this kind of fits in a little bit better here um, and talking about bloodlines and oppression being carried down. Yeah. Um, so I had a discussion. We have a we have a very very close friend, so close that we have matching tattoos. Um, and uh, she has Aboriginal children. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, we got to uh, learn a little bit more. And they spoke about um, things like the oppression being passed down through generations through a bloodline. Um, is that like a true thing? And you talk about holding your Aboriginal culture close. And how would something like that affect you? Yeah. Look, I, for me. Because of where I came from, there are certainly stories that get passed on. Um, And there's certainly feelings and emotions that get passed down from your great-grandparents to your grandparents to your parents and and then on to you and on to your children. Um, And stories of fear of authorities having to run away so that your children are not taken from you. You, you hold on to that emotion. Um, and it's something that I think anybody who's been through any sort of oppression or suffering at the hands of another human, you hold on to that. And because we have such a strong oral culture where we pass on those stories, we also pass on the emotion and the stress. And I do think we're getting, as a community, better mm-hmm. at sharing it in the appropriate ways. But there's always going to be that lingering effect of... A little bit of fear of authorities and what happens when you're involved with the authorities, whether it be police or whatever. Okay. Um, Now, specifically going back to Australia Day, um, which is what we wanted to talk about when we were looking at releasing this originally. Now, um, from my small amount of research going into this, and again, being a European Australian where all I've known is Australia Day. I grew up in Canberra, so I'm pretty sure Canberra would have been one of the first places to adopt Australia Day mm-hmm. um, first. And so I, the things I didn't know. So Australia Day was originally called Anniversary Day or Foundation yep. Day. Um, it wasn't until 1946 um, that it was actually called Australia Day. Um, and at that stage, it was the closest Monday to the 26th to ensure that we could have a long weekend every single year. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then it wasn't until 1946. Uh, oh, sorry. It wasn't until 1994 that Australia Day became officially the national day to be celebrated on the 26th. So I didn't know that because like I said, I grew up in Canberra. I'm pretty sure it's always been on the 26th since I was I was growing up. Um, now, uh, things like Triple J and the Hottest 100 and the big push about Invasion Day and about um, Aboriginal culture and moving things to another day outside of the 26th. So when this first started getting published a lot, for me, because I didn't grow up, um, you know, I, I didn't grow, grow up during... Um, uh, during when all these things were happening 
and I don't feel that, you know, I held on to a racism or I wasn't a part of it. And I'm like, well, hold on, that's Australia back then. I, you know, we're part of Australia now. Aren't we one, you yeah. know, aren't we like, you know, you know, one country together and everyone has this equal opportunity. If this is a day which is celebrating Australia, then isn't it offensive to not have it on this day? And what I realized is I don't understand Aboriginal culture um, is that there's probably a lot of things I didn't know yeah. and it would be best to ask questions. Um, so first of all, um with invasion day um what is that what was australia day to you growing up um it's just another day (laughs) really simply it i think the thing to understand around australia is that within our nation and I, i am sort of stealing this from a couple of other Indigenous leaders that I've been listening to over the last few weeks because there's been a lot of uh, media and publicity and stuff around this. And I really do feel this in my heart as well, that within Australia, we have three different narratives running alongside each other. You've got the First Nations people who have been here for hundreds of thousands of years practicing our culture here. And we have one story that is being told that we don't want forgotten. Mm-hmm. And then Coming into that 230-something years ago, you've got this other story that begins with settlement. Now, at some point, that settlement was going to happen, whether it was the Dutch, the French, the English, but it happened to be the English. And now, while there, are, there is oppression and there is lots of things that negatively, negatively have happened to Indigenous people, at some point it was going to happen that we were going to be colonised. Mm-hmm. But then alongside that other story... We are the most uh, diverse immigrant nation in the world because of how our nation has been built on the back of immigrants. You and your wife are a great example of this. Okay? And it's, you've got all three narratives being told. Now, we really respect the narrative of the immigrants. Mm-hmm. And that's why we, we sort of want people to become Australian citizens on Australian Day, to become a part of Australia on that most Australian day. We really respect the story and history of our colonists because that's what the education is taught in schools. This is the history of white Australia and its development as a nation. You get taught Australia is 200 years old. Yeah. Yeah. But that's when Aboriginal people get forgotten. Yep. All those years of history is, is gone. And it's kind of like, well, history only started 230-something years ago. And what we're saying is, no, it didn't. It started a long time before that, and we want it recognised. And Australia Day is quite a contentious point because that was kind of, for a lot of us, the beginning of the end of a lot of Indigenous history. Mm-hmm. And when my grandmother passed away, she died with her language. Sorry, I get emotional. She's the last person who could speak our language. And that wouldn't have happened if we were strong in our culture. But that gets diluted when you look at colonisation. So for a lot of us, that's a strong thing that we want the date shifted to become more inclusive and to recognise all three of those narratives, especially all of our 60,000 years of history. Is there any way that, that I, I guess, ab- Aboriginal culture is celebrated at the moment? Is there a specific event or a day which is a mainstream thing that everyone knows about? It's something that I, I don't know about. Um, look, I don't think we have any individual or specific days that we we celebrate ourselves to go, this is Aboriginal Day. Yes. <laughs> um, or this is like in the US, you've got Black History Month or any of those sort of things. Like it's, there's not an individual day that we celebrate. 
because I think when it's your culture and your history, it's something that you live through every day. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what really gets a lot of the Indigenous Australians quite rolled up is that the non-Indigenous Australia is really hanging on to this one day like it is the be-all and end-all to celebrate Australia. But what they're really forgetting in the process is that it's, it's diminishing the impact that Indigenous Australians have had on this country as well. So going through school, I don't think that... Um I don't think that we ever really got Aboriginal uh, culture like studies. Yeah. Not, not from what I can remember. Um, at least nothing which I have taken away and that I live with or that, that I remember being taught. Um, you've got two, two young boys uh, that are through... Uh, they're both in school at the moment? Yeah, yes. they, they play sport. Yeah, of course they're yeah, in school. They're both yeah. in school. Yeah, they're little basketball athletes. Um, do they get taught Aboriginal culture outside of at home? Is it something that which is taught in school? Is it like an elective? Is it part of history? Um, look, we have NADOC week, okay. which is a pretty big week uh, and celebration of, I guess, everything Indigenous. So just to correct myself from what I said before, we do have NADOC week and we have NADOC day. And there's a series of marches and events that happen around that to try and celebrate everything um, Indigenous Australia. Um, and even though we have this and even though schools, I think, try and implement, it's still, when you look at some of the content it's still not reflective of the history, but still very stereotypical Aboriginal. So we're going to do a dot painting and we're going to make a boomerang and we're going to look at some pictures of Aboriginal people, which is usually a black man in a loincloth holding a spear, which is, is not representative of Aboriginal Australia as we stand now. Okay. We are a very diverse culture and you know, there's a lot of catching up to do within the education system. Um, but we discussed this before earlier on. I think if people really want to know about Aboriginal culture within their community, you've just got to go and talk to people. Mm. We are great storytellers. We love telling a story and having a good yarn and, and talking about our opinions, our ideas and how we feel about our community. I think that's, that's probably the beginning point there. Um, and I do take it back. We did the Sorry Day. When Kevin yep. Rudd was in, I was in school when that was on. And yep. I, just, I just got prompted when you said dot paintings. So we had little hands and so we had to do dot paintings dot on paintings. them. Yeah, and we all got to put it down. But we didn't yeah. understand. Like, what, again, European Australian, yeah. what are we saying sorry for? We, we weren't a part of this. That was, that's, that's the lens that I was brought up with. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think this conversation is important for me. And I'm sure that you know, 50%, 80% of people that watch this probably have the same experience growing up. Yeah, I, I think most Australians do because it's the, the way that history books are written is the way that it's then taught in schools and it's the, the knowledge then that people carry with them through life is what we, we are taught in those early years. So, yeah. So then what would be your thoughts or your ideas? And again, um, to elaborate, this is, this is from your perspective. Um, and we said that different Aboriginal cultures from Australia would have a different background and a different lens that they look through. How do you think, or first of all, would it be appropriate to move Australia Day, number one? Number two, how would be a better way to celebrate Australia as an all-inclusive celebration? Um, look, I think right now, to just suddenly up and move a date and then just go and have the same celebration on another date, uh, I think would be a little bit tokenistic, mm. in, in my opinion. I, I don't I think agree. necessarily just moving the date is what it's about. It's about having the conversation, having two-way understandings and developing new knowledges and understandings about what these dates mean and how they can become 
more inclusive for everybody not just Indigenous Australians or the immigrant Australians or the, the European Australians, but for everybody to be a part of that conversation on what we want our nation to be recognised for, how we want it to be looked at. And part of that is how we celebrate our nation, how we celebrate its creation and how we celebrate it moving forward um, for all generations to be included in it. It's, it's about the conversation. Um, now, talking about oppression, and we spoke about bloodlines before, but what are some of the current disadvantages that Aboriginal people face, which maybe progress them from being able to move forward, not get opportunities that, you know, white people face? And again, I always revert back to my lens. I was like, hey, it's like, well, this this is my thoughts a while ago. So, let's say it's 2015. Doesn't everyone get equal opportunities now? Isn't racism bad? Um, again, white person mentality, because yeah. that's just what I assumed. Look, I think on the racism point, I think we, we all like to think that we are not racist. Um, even Aboriginal people like to think they're not racist. But given the right setting, a little bit of it will always come out. And the best example is the, the, the barbecue moments that I have because I'm very European looking. And <laughs> you're talking with people and they drop the boom word in conversation. Um, and suddenly then I'll pull them up and go, look, that's not appropriate. And they kind of take a step back and they're like, ooh, I've offended somebody. And then I explain why. And then it creates this awkward moment where people don't know what to say after that moment. And I think we all need to understand that uh, racism is there at all times, but we need to be vigilant on it to stamp it out, which means if you are with your friends and family at a barbecue moment and someone drops a bung, a nigger or whatever, and it is a, an offensive use of the term, then we need to pull them up and stop that. That's point one on some of it. Uh, <laughs> I, I think in terms of disadvantage that uh, Aboriginal people face, and there's, this is a really, this is a huge, huge question because there's so much um, that depending on where you grow up, I think everybody can face disadvantages. But when you're Aboriginal, there's, there's an expectation almost that you are already going to fail, I think, when we go into seek out a job or start education or whatever and unless we're going in and as an athlete um, quite often it's just assumed that we're not going to be as smart as as effective as diligent we're not going to work hard there's all of these assumed behaviors about aboriginal people which make it hard for us mm -hmm. to succeed so you do have to at times feel like you've got to work twice as hard to prove people wrong um, but education is always going to be an issue accessibility to education and services because there's a lot of Aboriginal people that still live remote or on the fringes of communities. They don't have that same access. Employment is always going to be a challenge. Um, you know, I think we've got a long road to beat out and we've only been a part of the European system and way of thinking and doing things for 230 years, which is not a lot of generations to suddenly catch up to centuries of operating in those systems mm -hmm. and um you know so we're, we're playing a lot of catch-up that's a really valid point and again <coughs> this is something that we spoke about briefly off camera so um colonization is that right <laughs> um it was 230 30 something ago? years ago yeah, yeah. so let's say Give 230 years ago and um aboriginal communities have had to adapt very very fast and to be able to um, adapt's not the right word. 
have been able to integrate uh, yeah adapt and integrate is exactly right yeah into um i guess we'll call we'll say western culture and the way of doing things for me that's not something that i'd ever thought about before but when you compared it you said if you look at chinese culture because so this is a this is five generations uh, what's yeah, two thirty is probably about five or six generations. Five or six generations to adapt. Yeah. You talked about bloodline. You talk about things being passed down, um, emotions being passed down. Whereas if we look at a Chinese culture, it's like tens of thousands of generations. Yeah, being involved in mathematics and commerce and trade and not leading uh, a life that flowed with the seasons and the country, um, but. You set up a town, you build a town, and you make the seasons follow what you want to do because you start farming. And um, while there are examples of Aboriginal people having those practices as well, they were on a much smaller scale. And I think if you look at the first hundred years of settlement being lots of um, genocide and removal of country and clearing of lands and being moved off your lands and then the next hundred years of being forced to try and get people to assimilate into things aboriginal people have really only had maybe the last sort of 60 to, to 70 years of really becoming um, a part of society a part of commerce a part of the education system in a successful way where we are not just the lackey and the slave um, mm. or the the working hand we are the people now leading some of those processes and it's, it hasn't been a long journey for us when you look at that yes by comparison to other cultures who have had it within them for thousands of years those things have been ingrained in generation after generation after generation yeah and when, when, when we're talking 60 years we're literally talking two to three generations yes yeah so so big difference um if we look at um uh, Australia in parallel to America um and they talk about like the divisions between black white um Native Indians, Native Americans, um, and from what we see from the media, and I say from what we see because obviously we're in Australia and we get fed it and it looks like it is a very segregated country at the moment. Do you think that Australia um, is somewhat similar or do you think that um, we we are much more inclusive? Do you think that we're going in the right direction? Um, I can't speak on behalf of what happens in the US, but certainly there are similarities. I think any time you've got a a nation of people that have been colonized there's going to be parallels to things that happen within those mm -hmm. indigenous populations and then with the immigrant populations that that get brought in and i think the u.s has an extra diversity to it with the slave population that was brought in which creates a whole new dynamic for that country um look i i think within australia right now we are having a lot of the right conversations mm. and there's a lot of people who are wanting to have the conversations and i think because of it Platforms like Triple J and, you know, other media picking up a lot of these conversations. It's becoming more mainstream. And I think uh, last year's Hottest 100 actually had a, a change. The date song was in the Hottest 100. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I think it's becoming a little bit more acceptable to just talk about it. Well, this year they did change the date. Yeah, yeah. you know, so I think that there's a lot of stuff happening there that is showing that mainstream Australia as a, as a larger population is starting to think about it mm. and that's the beginning point because once we start thinking about it we want to talk about it and once we start talking about it we can then start taking action on the conversations that, we're, that are had and even look, looking I guess from my personal experience and initially going well why would we change it and the things I've explained before well I'm Australian and you know can't I be proud of being Australian not thinking about you know the reasoning behind all of this 
But for the media to talk about it, for thing, these things start to take place, and then for me as a European and Australian to go, hey, maybe there's something that I don't know, and then ask to have a conversation yeah. about it. So that's a, that's a real-life personal example as yeah. well. And I really do think, I don't think Australians need to stop being proud of their nation. I think that, don't think that's what it's about. Mm. And they don't need to be proud of the day that their nation became a nation. But they also then, I think, need to a little, have a little reflection on what happened beyond that point yes and that's what it's about yeah being inclusive and recognizing that not everything was all fairy floss and candy and this is a great place but there was also blood sweat tears loss of life and oppressions that happened in that in that process now recently we had the australian bushfires Mm -hmm. as well which was quite large my parents were affected by that and i saw conversations through the media talking about how and now the government um will be seeking uh advice or counsel from aboriginal cultures about how to proper handle the country within situations like this so um how to do safe back burning um and understanding the land better um do you think that there's a lot that the current government and current australians can learn about you know about australia as a country as a land yeah like i said it's only been 200 and we keep going back to that number 230 but it's not a lot of generations which is why those stories those song lines those connection to country those cultures and habits around how we manage our country and we have always been custodians and caretakers of that that country just because we were displaced or removed from it didn't mean the knowledge was lost okay and there's a there's a real big drive within aboriginal communities now to reconnect with that process and redevelop those knowledges and skills and i certainly think that aboriginal people have a lot to offer you just got to ask okay in a lot of cases they're not going to come forward and just write you a thesis on what you should do but they will have a conversation with you about it and they will certainly give you the education and knowledge they have from all of their experience not just theirs but all those generations before them where that story was passed down from generation to generation um i so uh, comparing this to a current i guess current day situation which is within the wellness space which is i guess on the uh, on the cusp of the fitness space, there's some people that are into fitness, that are into body weight movement, that are into the wellness side of things as well. And we see a lot of things like, you know, earthing, a lot of things like breath work, a lot of more spiritual, I guess, holistic things. Um, now, these have come from all, all different countries and practices um, and teachers. Um, is there Aboriginal cultures or Aboriginal teachers that teach not these sort of things specific, but the more spiritual side of things where um, white people or European Australians can go and learn more about yeah. getting in contact with the earth. All across Australia, even here in Perth, there are elders and indigenous leaders who will gladly take you on a walking tour through areas of Perth and tell you the history and the culture and help you become connected and more spiritually aware of, of the country you are in. Um, it's, it is part of our oral history is part of how we share our history and culture is through storytelling and yeah there, there are loads of places you've just got to hit up google um and you'll find a tour operator yep who will who will charge you a fee of yes. course uh <laughs> and, and then take you on on a real educational journey through your own town your own your own place yep. and teach you a whole new uh story about that place that's cool, and so I'm going to look into that. So I'll post about this later, and I'll do a, I'll, I'll, I'll go through an experience myself, learn, and I'll do a write up for people, and I'll post where they can find out more information too. Now, um, white Australians, European Australians, 
immigrants, people that want to learn more, what's your what's what's your advice outside of you've said just just reach out. What's what's your advice to go and learn more? Um, you I, told me about TV channels before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, look, we've got uh, NI, NITV is is a great place to go and get exposed to uh, Aboriginal comedy, Aboriginal stories, uh, Torres Strait Islander language, dancing. Everything you can encompass within a one within a singular nation, even though we are multiple nations that make up this indigenous population, NITV is a great entry level. Mm-hmm. It's from the safety of your own ha- home in your lounge chair, <laughs> um, uh, yep. you know, so you don't feel like you're offending anybody in the process. But there's a lot of learning that can happen there, and you get to see what is important to Torres Strait Islander and Aboriginal Australians through their media told through their voices and their people, which is really cool. Um, but then I think, yeah, the other part is just reach out. Yep. You know, there's lots of Indigenous organisations within the community. Next time there's a NADOC Day celebration, go and be, go be a part of it. Just go and sit in as an active listener and participant. Um, you'll be amazed at what you get to see. And I know people won't love all of it. Some of it will be confronting, but that's part of the learning process. Cool. I love it. Nadoc, I'm going to look into this. Um, I'm going to look into some TV channels and I'm going to go get a tour. Shane Stevens, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on board. Even on stage, like my knees. Frame you up. There are actual things you can still stay controlled. Fitness. <laughs>